Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, and welcome back to the Ask Sue Show. That must be the quickest turnaround I've ever, ever had. And uh, thank you very much. To... Oh, hold on a minute. Uh, it's just starting with my little tune. Hold on. Welcome back to the Ask Sue Show. I apologise for that slight delay. I was being a bit slow off the whole mark. Um, so I'm just going to see if I can be very professional and get um, Jim back on the show while I'm talking to you. Um, what's everybody's thoughts so far as far as the, the um, first part of the show? Let us know. Um, I'm going to try and be in two places at once, so you must bear with me because I'm trying to dial and everything else. Oh, how good that Talk about live ringing. Hello. Hi there, darling. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. We're back. Yes, we're back live in the air. Hi, I spoke. I spoke straight over my intro and everything, so I've totally messed up for the first part anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like live radio. I love it. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, Jim, let's just very quickly go back. We'll let, get, let everybody get back into the phone lines. Um I'm I'm looking at the at the fact of Memphis. Then it, I want to put something to you. Let's mm-hmm. put Jeff's situation towards you now. Obviously, I know you've got to be careful on how you say this, but let's just put let's just say it's not Jeff then, okay? Oh, let's just be a bit funny here. There's a guy that lives by a school. He lives um, near a shop that's near the road, which was something that was mentioned apparently about why there was a problem. Also, the fact that um, he lived in a built-up area, but let's face it, that this guy's got experience, he's a trainer, and let's face it, by what you're saying, is actually what Memphis needs. Do you Um, see any problems with where we are wanting Memphis to actually go? As long as the person has um, the ability to keep Memphis safely contained. In other words, has, for instance, a fenced yard, and I'd even like to see a kennel within that yard so that both for, not, not just for the public safety, for the dog's safety, 
that nobody that had ill intent or um, was just too stupid to breathe uh, could could get in a situation where where they could get hurt. So you know, so somebody didn't just stumble into um, an area and do something stupid. Then I don't think the location really matters. I think what matters is whether the person can can adequately provide safe, controlled shelter for the dog. You know, if, if somebody didn't have a fenced yard, um, that would be an issue no matter how experienced they were to me because that means they're either going to have to walk the dog all the time or the dog is going to have the possibility of getting into trouble. Um, and dogs do accidentally get out sometimes. So yeah. the fence yard, I think, would be important. Um, having yeah. a, especially and and again, we're not talking about a dog that's that's a huge threat to the world here. But I'm being perhaps overcautious with Memphis because of the notoriety that he has brought up and the fact that there are people out there with ill intent or that are simply um, uninformed that would try to take advantage of a situation. So I thought with that in mind in this kind of a situation, I would be um, more interested to see somebody who had some kind of secondary containment, again, to keep not just the public safe, but to keep Memphis safe. Yeah, exactly, exactly. See, this is the thing. I mean, I know there's a lot of Chinese whisper, and it's putting a lot of people in a lot of situations. So, Jim, have you got a problem if I bring Jeff on the line with you? No. Right. Okay. Let's right bring ahead. Jeff in. I know. I know that Jeff will have some questions, and it's all like me saying, "Oh, well, what do you think of this and the other?" Let's talk to the guy who's actually in the situation. Hi, Jeff, darling. How are you doing? Hi, everyone. How are you? Uh, hey, okay. Jeff. How are you? Hey, Jim. How's it going? Doing pretty good. Good, good. Uh, thank you for sharing uh, your insights into this. It's uh, it's enlightening. Uh, <laughs> that's and, that's and for sure. I appreciate it. And, and, and I think it's, it's I think it's just it's too bad for everybody involved that this has has gotten so sideways because you know this working with a with a dog that's got some issues and. and and, and working with him to, to, to retrain him for um, for uh, being adoptable shouldn't shouldn't have to be this difficult. I agree. Yeah. I mean, we're not talking about a dog that has has been has has bitten thirteen people or has killed somebody. We've got a you know we're talking about a dog that doesn't have any kind of. Uh, a rap sheet to go with him, or accusations of bad behavior here. It's not like one of the guys, like I said, it's not like a dog that's accused of having killed somebody. Right. Jeff, is there any questions you want to ask Jim? Because I'm going to go through who's on the line. So if you want to, I don't mind you looking after Sue's place for a minute. If you want to ask some questions. Sure, why not? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, it's, I'm glad we get the opportunity to, to chat because at the meeting and you know I I I do seminars and workshops and I, I know when when you're the speaker afterwards you have a lot of people online waiting for you uh, and that's the only reason why I just kind of came over. Um, said yeah, hello it was, it was kind of, yeah, it was, 
and I appreciate that because it was kind of crazy there, and there's, there's, you know, people wanted to ask questions and so forth. Yeah, and I, and I understood and I, that because it happens to me a lot. So that that's the only reason why I said hello and goodbye, just out of respect for you and your time. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, no problem. Uh, I guess as it relates to, and I'm I'm not going to even discuss any he saids or she saids uh, as far as what their position is and the you know the, the alleged the allegations that it's it's personal against me because that's really not what we're about. I mean, we we really just wanted mm-hmm. to have Memphis with us. I mean, that that was really the our goal from from the time we were told to return him because of uh, my choice to have Memphis interact with the kids. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, and just based on some of the things that you were discussing, you know, uh, I, in fact, I think I may have even said this on the show last week that, you know, Memphis specifically is not an unpredictable dog and that all of his behaviors are predictable for the same fact that you had mentioned, that dogs don't lie. Exactly. <laughs> they, they tell and, us exactly... And you know, and you know as well as right I now. do that, and you know as well as I do that most of the time when people say the dog did something and I had no warning, it's because either the person doesn't know what they're looking at or they weren't paying attention. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I and that's why I, was, I think Joe, who who had asked you a couple of questions, uh, he he posed the question to me, I believe, last week what an unpredictable dog is. And my my response was that, you know, are they out there? Sure, they're out there. They're few and far between, but you can't describe an unpredictable dog because their behavior is unpredictable. <laughs> right, and, and I would agree with you on that because, yeah, they are out there. They are few and far between because those dogs that I've had contact with that have, people have said, oh, the dog just goes off, I've been able to stand there and go, okay, the dog is talking to me just fine. I don't know what your problem is, but uh, <laughs> the, the dog is getting through to me. And if you if you were either paying attention or knew what you were looking at, you'd have seen that the, the, the you know this is a dog that, for instance, you know there was a there have been several dogs on television that have bitten reporters in the middle of interviews, and I've seen some of the videos. And you sit there and you look at it and you go, okay. That dog is gonna bite in three, two, one, go. Yeah, the the infamous German Shepherd one. I remember oh, yeah. the first time I saw that. I'm thinking this guy's got to stand up. <laughs> yeah. And you wonder, and you wonder not only, you know, why is the reporter being such a ding dong, but why is the handler asleep at the switch? Yeah. That was completely preventable by either one of them. Right. So, yeah, I do not see Memphis as unpredictable. His body language was very clear. He transmitted exactly what his intentions were. I mean, there was nothing. He's not a dog that every once in a while you find one that's that's a little sneaky. But uh, Memphis was very upfront about it. When he didn't like the stranger coming at him, acting weird and dressed weird, he was very particular about it. And when the... um, and um, when uh, I first approached him and, and everything, he communicated very well. You know, the, old, right. the, the, the saying that some people have that, oh, pit bulls, you know, they're unpredictable and they don't communicate and they don't give warnings. Yes, they do. They're very clear. You just have to pay attention. Right. 
So I guess I, I, I have a couple of questions, and, and these are probably generic questions. And it it surrounds, you know, the purpose of evaluations. And, you know, I mean, I when I do evaluations, uh, they're not always the same. You know, I it depends on the situation and what mm-hmm. we're trying to find out sometimes. Uh, yours, right. I, felt, I felt yours was very thorough, and I I understood precisely what was going on as far as worst-case scenario because mm-hmm. sometimes you need to know what the worst-case scenario is. And right. I, I, my question to you is, you know, based on the fact that, you know, Memphis did not respond to provocation very well, is that fair to say? That's what I would say. Um, what do you, okay, how do you mean uh, you know, when he's presenting I mean, he, with a provoking uh, I mean, situation, he he doesn't well, he, respond. Well, he responded. He responded extremely well. When he was provoked to do something, he he did it. When they when we tried to provoke him into giving a bad response, he gave the bad response, but then was able to be redirected from that bad response. So you know, I, I wouldn't say that he responded badly to provocation. I, I'd say that. You know, the, the provocation um, got the the desired, re- the, you know, the desired result right. in getting him to to show out. I, I guess um, that was a, a bad choice of word on my part. Maybe the proper word would be he responded appropriately. Um. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I mean, he he responded in an in an understandable and and logical in, in a in a way that made sense to a dog. Right. So, um, based on whether it's like Memphis or or any other dog that that you've you've uh, done similar tests to, uh, you know, in in the state of New Jersey, we actually have laws on the books that pr- protect dogs who are provoked. Right. We have it in Florida too. Oh, you do. Okay. So, and I, I guess I brought that up just because, and I understand the liability. I have my own pit bull rescue, and you know. Yeah. Uh, when you're a small rescue and you don't have the resources of a municipal shelter, uh, you know, you're even more careful when it comes oh, to sure. liability, you know. So I, I, I really am sensitive to, to their position, but I don't understand the liability aspect of it, you know. And, and I know the laws that protect dogs that are provoked. I understand property law in New Jersey. Once a piece of property is transferred to another owner, and I I was aware that, cases against municipal shelters were hard to find. I wasn't aware that there weren't any successful ones. Um, yeah, I, I'd be interested to know if you have any resources where we can look information like that up. Yeah, um, well, I know that I'm, I've been told that by an attorney friend of mine who is very, very uh, well-informed and involved in dog law issues. And, um, yeah, I can I can email you his information because – He's the one who told me there there has not ever been a successful case. Um, yeah. For for any of various reasons, usually because the city simply has has had the person waive any um, liability back to the city. Right. And released released the jurisdiction from any civil responsibility there, which right. to me just makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I, I, your, one of your last comments about, you know, where Memphis could be placed, and, you know, obviously I'm biased in where I think he should go. <laughs> <laughs> I would hope uh, so. Any particular place? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, live, I live on a four-house, dead-end street, 
I am the last house on the dead end street. I have a six foot stockade fenced in yard, and my dogs are never in the yard unsupervised, but that's just how we've always been. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and Sounds uh, like my dogs. Yeah, I mean, I, I just part mostly because I love being out there with them. <laughs> you know, that's why uh, him and um, Diane get on so but, well. But I mean, I. <laughs> You know, and I've been in rescue a long time. I've been, you know, I'm not naive to some things that, and I agree with you 100%. There's some people out there throwing rat poison over people's fences and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and not not even situations like this, but th- those for for no. people who were listening, and I don't know if those are some of the things you you may have been referring to, but for people who are listening, yes. these things actually happen. There are some sick yes. people out there that throw, you know, poisons over fences and stuff. Well, remember when we were dealing with the situation with Lennox, here you, one of the adult neighbors of Lennox's owners threatened their 12-year-old daughters to, to beat her up with a baseball bat if the dog came home. And um, you know, then they, the neighbors had also threatened Lennox's safety that they were going to kill the dog. So, yeah, that's how, that kind of stuff happens, right. especially when you've got a, a case that has for whatever reason, has wound up getting a lot of um, attention. And it's got feelings exactly. running, running on both sides. You know, that's, that's the downside of these cases. It's um, why, for instance, when, when I worked the case in Pittsburgh where the dog didn't um, kill the child, uh, the dog was released, but we moved the dog out of the area and to a... a, a, a location that I still can't disclose because we don't want the dog to be uh, victimized. Exactly. That was a fatality, so that was a whole different case. Again, Memphis hasn't bitten anyone. Exactly. Now, c- sorry, can I just bring some up to you, Jim? You know you were saying before sure. that um, shelters have to be careful on which dogs they rehome and everything because obviously of dogs biting and everything else. And I think, Jeff, you've heard this story, probably can give me more information than I'm actually going to say, but they actually rehomed a dog after it bitten somebody or something. What was the story over that, Jeff? You can tell me a bit more, but something with Bloomfield, wasn't it, that they actually, was it they rehomed one or something happened after they had? Uh, yeah, there was a, a woman who was uh, <clears throat> bitten by a dog in the shelter through the fence as she was she was interacting with uh, all the dogs. And uh, it was the outdoor runs, and you, you've been there, the outdoor runs yeah. where you presented Memphis to the, the, the dogs. Yeah. Uh, a woman was bitten through the, the fence. She was uh, taken to the hospital, treated, and uh, the that same dog was adopted out a short time after with... There was no there was no evaluation done. There was uh, you know there was no reports of it, and it it's brought up some controversy because you have a dog that and was from what I understand was uh, returned to the shelter as well. So you have a dog that actually bit someone. Someone was hospital was was treated at the local hospital, and the dog was rehomed without any evaluation or any kind of anything close to what Memphis has been exposed to. So there's been some controversy locally with this particular dog compared to why Memphis is, be- is being treated so differently. Um, and, to back, 
And to back that up, um, I've got Karen in the chat room who's just put, and Fitzpatrick totally mispresented that dog bite incident on last week's show. He lied about it completely. And I can actually say that Karen is 100% true because I've spoken to the lady since who has actually confirmed all of that. I couldn't remember without going to email, and I've got about six windows open already. Um, so mm -hmm. I can actually back up exactly what that story was. Do you know what I mean? Well, so it, 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 this is where it comes to lies, Chinese whisper, and everything else. At, at the end of the day, from all, from all the different ways, is really not helping Memphis. Why does it? Why do they not? They need to lie on the radio to tell us stuff. When I wanted to do a radio show that was giving both sides. Why human beings um, do things after after all the years as a policeman, I've never been able to figure that one out. That's why, again, I, I like to work with dogs because they tend to make sense on a regular basis. Um, <laughs> why, you know, why 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 people do things and, and what they actually do. You know, go figure. Um, you know, look or look around, and it's it's easy to tell that. Uh, you know, now as far as as far as the other dog situation, it seems to me that the the, the best practices for any shelter would be to have consistent treatment across the board for for dogs. Period. No matter which dog it happens to be, and if you've got mm -hmm. a policy that you don't adopt out dogs that have bitten, then that means you don't adopt out dogs that have bitten. If you've got a policy that says you don't adopt out dogs that you believe are aggressive, then that means there should be any dog that you think is aggressive should not be adopted. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not one for putting hard and fast rules on stuff, but I am one for being consistent. And... Um, you know, I've I've talked and worked with uh, the folks from No Kill Nation, and um, you know, in in trying to to get dogs homed as much as possible, and fully agree with the fact that we're not going to put you know nobody can responsibly put observably dangerous dogs out into the public, but that every dog deserves a chance to uh, to 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 be placed. And to if it can be worked with and successfully um, rehabilitated or retrained, it should be uh, within within the resources available. So um, yeah, it's, if 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 we're going to apply a set of rules to one dog, then we should apply it across the board. Um, if we're going to say that uh, a dog that bites unprovoked is not placeable, then that should be the rule. Um, you know, sticking your fingers through a uh, <coughs> a kennel fence, if that's what happened, should not be thought of as being provoking. So, you know, I would have concerns with, at least without some treatment, placing any dog with a known unprovoked bite history. I'm mm. real, real concerned and real cautious about that. Mm. Yeah, I know that the um, shelter that I ran, if we if we had a dog that had a, an unprovoked bite history, we simply did not adopt it. Exactly. 
Right. Can um, Jim, are you okay to stay in the line? And you, Jeff, um, yeah. we've got uh, we've got Moira. Um, let me just. I've got so many things somewhere here. Hold a minute. I, I'm getting there eventually. Honest. We've got Moira, who is one of the ACOs. That am I right, Moira, in saying that you picked up Memphis originally? Yes, I did. Okay, can you tell us about that day and, and sort of explain to us? Um, okay, um, I'm a little bit nervous, I'm sorry. It's okay. Uh, he can't, can't have to be nervous, it's a little family here, yeah. darling, it's fine. <laughs> it's it's just that it no problem. <laughs> <laughs> Sue, Sue is fairly harm, is relatively harmless. Yes, he's funny. Uh, <laughs> as harmless as Memphis. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um... To start, um, when I got the call uh, to pick up Stray Dogs um, February 6th, probably approximately around maybe 8.20 um, that morning um, on, what is that, um, Glen, Glenwood Ave, I believe. And uh, I met up with a few people that were in the area, like there were crossing guards, there, were, uh, there was a cop that was there. Um, watching over the dog at the time, and um, Memphis was just, you know, hanging around. Um, at the location where he was, um, there were kids around because they were going to school that morning, so I was unable to, it was not safe for me to approach him at the time. Um, so I, you know, try to make it a little bit um try to get him out of the area so it'd be, he would be in a safe location for me to um, capture him. Um, it's hard to really, you know, capture a dog in an open space. Um, so I tried, you know, I really tried my best to uh, have him contained in someone's backyard, but he wasn't, you know, he wasn't um, all for it. So um, eventually... He ran around, you know, ran around town and ended up on Olive Street, which is um, a dead-end street. Uh, in the back of, he ran into the back of uh, an abandoned house, and he had nowhere else to go at the time. So, I'm sorry? Another per- perfect, a great way to be able to safely catch him. Yes. <laughs> yes. And, uh, <laughs> um, and... Yeah, okay, so, you know, there was, um, he had nowhere else to go. He was cornered. And the time Mike Sanella, another ACO, I had called him because he was in the area at the time. And it would have really made things a lot easier and safer at the time to capture Memphis. I would, you know, for ACO, I really just didn't want to, um, any incident whatsoever. So, since he was in the area, asking if he, you know, would like to come and help out, and he said sure. So he came by. We met up on Olive, Olive Street, where Memphis was contained, and he had a snare pole. So I told him to just go ahead and take Mem, you know, get Memphis, um, and put a pole around him until I get my leash. So he, you know, Memphis never growled. He never snarled. At my Stanella, I was there. Okay, so there was no growling, there was no snarling. Um, I removed the snare pole, put my leash on, and Memphis, um, you know, I just opened my uh, 
the door to my van. And so hopped in, made himself at home, took him back to the shelter, and that was it. Thanks. Uh, and can I just get you to repeat that? So he, he never did any question, even though he's in a situation that he didn't know what was happening next and where you'd expect a dog literally to lash out at you, he never did anything at all? No, he did not. Memphis never growled at Mike Spinella. He never growled at me. <clears throat> I'm sorry. He never growled at me or Mike Spinella. Um, he was nervous. You can tell he was nervous like any other dog. He was a little bit scared, but there was no lunging. There was no growling. There was no snarling. There was no teeth that... The accusations that are being, you know, said by Karen Laurie and to Patrick, it's untrue. I am the ACU that that caught Memphis. I'm the one that picked him up. And, you know, so the, the accusations about Memphis being aggressive, it's untrue. It never happened. And, and what was he like when you actually got him over to the actual um, to the shelter? rescue then? Oh. Memphis was perfect. Memphis was relaxed. He was um, tired because we were running around for like an hour. So he was just, he was tired, you know. Um, he looked at me when I opened the door, you know, when we got to the shelter. And I'm like, you know, I said to him, hey, you ready to go? And he just looked at me like that, you know, he has this really cute eyes. Oh, my God. But, um, you know, he just gave me that look and I'm like, okay, you know, ready. And he hopped out of the van. We walk into the shelter. He never tried to attack any of the staff members that worked um, on that day when Memphis was brought in. Um, there was still no aggression. Memphis was calm. He was just tired. And he, he, there was no problem, no issue whatsoever with Memphis at all. None. That's great. And, and to be fair, that's when you would expect him to be a bit funny, you know, bit n unsure, not sure what's going on, scared, and, and all of the other things as well, to be fair. Yes, exactly. And especially when we first cornered him, you know, you think that he will try to lunge at us and, and um, try to bite us, but he didn't. He realized, like, okay, I'm, you know, I might as well just go with them and... Uh, I've got this, sorry, I've just got this imaginary white flag of him saying, oh, sod it, let's just give in. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what pretty much, you know, pretty much what he did. But he was so good. He was a very good boy. He was a good, you know, he was a very good dog. He is a very good dog. I've never had any problems in Memphis. None of the staff have had, had any issues with Memphis. Um, I've worked with other ACOs um, other than Spinella and kennel attendants. And Memphis never tried to bite anyone. Not even the superintendent, um, supervisor, last superintendent, um, Kathleen Jurajevich, he was never aggressive towards anyone. That's great. Um, I've got to fetch Hillary in because she's going to be tapping on this screen in a minute and saying, excuse me, <laughs> hi, Hillary, come on, on you come. Hi. <laughs> I disconnected myself. Moira. Relax, babe. Hi. You can just talk like you're talking to me. That's how Sue is. <laughs> Don't even worry about it. <laughs> so how long, tell everybody how long you interacted with Memphis, how how long um, you were at the shelter. Let's see. With um, with this, well, actually, I think from February till 
the month of August um, when they let me go. So that was a long my time. Last day. That was, yeah, at least seven months. That was at mm-hmm. least seven months. And um, the whole seven months, there was never an issue with Memphis. Um, the whole thing started with uh, the accusations about Memphis being a bad dog. started out by Kathleen Georgievich, the supervisor slash superintendent. Uh, she claimed that he had issues, and um, she wanted to have him tested. And, you know, I, we asked, like, myself and other staff, said, what issues does Memphis have? Because he doesn't. Like, this is just ridiculous. Oh, he's just a time bomb. Like, seriously? A time bomb. Okay. I, I really just didn't get it, and... You know, she just, uh, in her mind, that he was not a good dog. She keeps saying that he was a bad dog. And I've never, you know, um, I've never seen Memphis upset um, or having a bad day. Even with all the dogs barking in his head all day, he was just nonchalant about just about everything. He loved people. And I've even seen Memphis taking have taken a treat from kids that visited a shelter with their parents mm-hmm. through that open school uh, program that Kathleen started with the uh, feeding. Mm-hmm. Um, the people were told to uh, take, take some of the kidlets out of the bucket and feed the dogs. And Memphis was said by a little girl, um, it was not intentional. The little girl didn't know at the time, but Memphis there was no, he never growled at a little girl. He took the treats from her hand like it was nothing. He's, you know, uh, he, he just, Memphis is really like the type of dog he can care less. Um, as, you know, as long as, you know, he's, I mean, he's just a happy-go-lucky guy. And what was the staff told to tell the public if they asked oh, about yeah, them? The, the staff was told um, by Kathleen not, uh, that Memphis is a, that dog, not even to say unadoptable, that um, he is a time bomb, pretty much. Yeah, he is a time bomb. Um, he's not adoptable. And staff were actually telling people this. The only thing staff should tell people is that he's not available. That's it. Not that he's a bad dog. That is just, you know, it's, it's not... That is not the right thing to do. It's unprofessional. And, yeah, and uh, and the funny thing is, the same so-called bad dog that people were being told about, which you know Memphis, they were walking up to Cage and like this guy, and Memphis is like looking at them, like yeah, you know, no reaction. A lot of times he would just sit there and watch people walk past his cage. Um, he will sit in the back of his cage, and people will pass, you know, walk past him. They're, you know, they're curious. They see him. Um, a lot of people adored Memphis. Like, a lot of people wa- wanted to adopt Memphis at that time, um, even after she claimed that he was not adoptable. Um, Kathleen claimed that he was unadoptable. People still wanted Memphis because of how content he was. He was the only dog in the shelter that was not carrying on. While the other eight dogs, twelve dogs, whatever that was there, um, that were stressed out, and 
just barking their heads off. Members will sit in his cage as if nothing, you know, nothing bothers him. So this is like, you know, we were like, I was really surprised to hear her saying that um, Memphis is a bad, you know, that he's a bad dog when clearly he's not. I think she just has her own little personal vendetta against Memphis. Like she targeted Memphis from day one when she first set her eyes on him. Well, I saw him interact with children too, and he was a perfect gentleman. I mean, these are little girls. They were three and five years old. Mm Mm-hmm just ooing and eyeing over him. And the father was right there, and he was not concerned at all. So I just, you know, I'm glad that you called in. You had firsthand experience with him. You picked him up that night. You wrote the intake report. Yes, I did. And, you know, people wanted to hear from you, so. And definitely. Yeah. Memphis and, is and not that's, that's got to be one of the hardest times for Memphis is when he's picked up. Isn't that right? Jim, that, you know, when they're that stressed out, when you first pick them up, that's surely a good, quite a good indication of what they're going to be like because they are stressed, they run round, they're being mm-hmm. chewed from pillar to post. Is that right to say? Well, there, there are plenty of dogs that when you pick them up, you actually get a worse reaction <clears throat> than, than you normally would because, I mean, for instance, you put them on a catch pole and there are a lot of dogs that will freak out and start helicoptering mm-hmm. or flip-flopping yep. around and panicking because... They don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would I would say that if you're going to see extremely bad behavior, it's probably going to be during that first encounter, and um, it's very likely to be to be fear related. I can actually back that up 100% because I was telling Jim before, and I have told the listeners about this before. When I rescued a dog only a few weeks back. And I picked it up off the road. I've got Emma, who's 11, screaming in the back of the car, Mom, stop, he's going to get run over. And I'm stopping the car and getting out and, like, getting this dog in the car and everything. And it was fine. It was um, a whippet cross with whatever. And anyway, and it was you could tell it was an old dog. It was tatty looking a bit, you know, and it obviously left from somewhere. Do you know what I mean? Um, we got it in the car. It was fine. It sat not a problem at all in the car. And we literally got to town, and I said, well, we'd better take out the car for a bit because it's getting quite hot. We reported it to the police. I went to take her out of the car, and I literally just, the lead was lying on the seat, and I went to get the lead, and I picked up the lead and started to say, come on then. And as I said, come on then, and lifted up the lead, she obviously felt a little bit of the tug of the lead onto the collar, and all of a sudden she went straight at my hands, and there I got blood gushing from everywhere from this dog that had literally been sat there so good as gold. So literally with a split second of being fine to literally me picking a lead up, you know what I mean, and me being fine with it, it literally changed just like that. And, and, you know, and stress, will, stress will get a response from a dog. That, exactly. Uh, you know, just out of fear or whatever, a dog goes back any organism, whether it's a dog or a human or a squirrel or an amoeba, is got one of three choices. They can, if, if something comes at them that threat that they feel that perceives threatens them, they can either run, they can freeze in place like a bunny rabbit in the headlights, going, "Okay, I can't see you because I close my eyes, so you can't see me," or they can fight, and that's the only three. Uh, hardwired responses there are for any animal. So if you stress an animal, you're going to see very likely its worst behavior. 
Exactly. 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 Oh, uh, Sue? Um, I yep. just wanted to also correct. Um, there was a statement made um, recently, uh, I believe, at the meeting that Lauren said that, once again, about Mike Stanell being the person that takes that member. And I just want everyone to understand that Mike Spinella did not pick up Memphis. I am the person that picked up Memphis. And, you know, to clarify that, because she keeps telling everyone that he was the first ACO on the call. No, he was not. Mike Spinella called me around 7 that morning on my way to work when I got the call from Memphis to pick up the stray dogs. And he told me he was in the neighborhood, and he was asking me a question regarding the call that he was on at that time. Um, and but then the transition of me trying to capture Memphis that day with all the, you know, the little action, I decided to contact Vanilla just to make everything easier um, on everyone, especially the dog and the safety of the public, um, to help to assist me. And that's, yes. you know, that that is the reason why Spinella was there at the time. But Spinella did not capture Memphis. So, but, you know, they, they, are, they keep saying that. And, you know, it's like, it's, it's really just ridiculous. What, what people need to know is that Moira was let go, and the other ACO that she's referring to is still there. So that's kind of why it's important about what she's saying. Good Boyer was the ACO that picked him up. And, you know, it matters also if this, you know, there is, Memphis has a, Memphis has a lawsuit. So, you know, people are going to have to come in and testify that had experiences with him. And she's the ACO that picked him up. She knows, you know, she knows dog behavior. And, it's really uh, sad that Mike Spinella is It's important to lying. clarify who exactly picked him up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's even sad that Mike Spinella is actually telling Laurie and Kathleen, what a, you know, that he he growled, Memphis growled at him. I was there. He did not growl at you. Like, why? Why? I, I just don't get it. Why are they lying? Why is he lying? He was the SCCA. And, and, also, and, you know, like, the, the reality check of this is from just an ordinary lass who's sitting in the UK listening to all of this, we have got thousands and thousands and thousands of dogs in shelters every single day where some are being put down because they haven't got room for them and we've got a guy that's fully that's trained who's got the situation and everything to take a dog on board and they're saying oh sorry but no what the hell in god's name has the world come to i mean there's, there's hundreds and hundreds out there that are looking and I must just pick up on something that Mike said, which I thought was hilarious, from somebody who's an absolute animal lover, and I always say, if I look into their eyes, that's just dangerous. His words were, he, Jeff only had him for a few days, so how could he have fallen in love with him? Who said that? Uh, Mike Fitzpatrick said <laughs> on the show. Well, that, that just goes to show you. Isn't that right, Jeff? Uh, yeah. <laughs> And I, you mean, you know, I, I, I'm not being I'm, funny. I went, I went to the rescue kennels, and I said to, my cousin was with me, and it was so funny because her words were before we got there, "Oh my God, I, if I'm coming with you, 
but I am not taking a dog home. I'm telling you now, I'm just not taking a dog home. I'm telling you, I'm just coming with you, just for some, you know, I'll be with you, blah, 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 but I'm not taking one home. We got down three kennels. The third kennel, she heard a story about a whippet that got a slit throat uh, with a Stanley knife and had a um, red-hot poker put up its bottom. She heard the story and they said, I'm sorry, you can only foster. She said, no, I'm apologizing for my actions, but no, I don't want that. I want to adopt him and today. He doesn't deserve to be in here because of his story. And let's just say a week and a half later, she was at his house. Uh, The dog was at her house and stayed there for 15 years. God bless you. So what I'm going to say to you again is, why not just let a dog that's got a home that is waiting and just let him go home to somebody that is experienced, and you're not going to get another gen- Joe Public who is going to be as experienced as Jeff to do it. You know, this kind of goes back to what I was saying the other day about rescue and the mindset of people in rescue, how they're a different breed. And most of us, even, and I am involved in rescue, and so is Jeff, and I'm sure a lot of people on the call are as well, and I'm not saying that animal lovers in general don't have this type of mindset, but... Common sense would tell somebody with this type of mindset that every second you waste on political BS like they're pulling with Memphis takes away another second from another dog. There's a lot of other animals that need to be having focus put on them. Kathleen has now also condemned four more dogs at the shelter. What's going to happen to them? Yeah. This is a waste of everybody's time. And this poor dog, like I said earlier, is being bounced around. This is just more instability for him. So if anything, they're not helping him. They're hurting him. But Memphis, God bless him, has the temperament where this won't phase him. Mm -hmm. I hope. Well, thank God he's a good dog. I I don't think it will phase him. No. Uh, Moira, I've just got Joe on the line, and he wants Mm -hmm. to ask you a question. Hi, Joe. Are you still there, love? I'm still here, Sue. Hi, Joe. Uh, you wanted to ask about about his nose or something? Ask away. Yeah, Moira, I don't know if you saw the quote-unquote note that was written on the back of the intake form. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, uh, I, I'll read you the whole thing. I'll try and be quick because it's just a little note. Um, it said, uh, uh, Moira, unable to catch dog, called M. Spinella, who was ACO on night to help. Dog came in exhausted from being on the run. Dog has a deep gash on the nose, cleaned and applied antibiotic. Dog showed signs of anxiety to be expected after being on the run. Raised lip when put into kennel. Mark cage card staff only until dog settles and further eval can be made. Put in ISO for seven days, uh, signed by the manager. So um, my question is, is any of that accurate? Do you actually have a gash? You know, can you address the note? He did have a little, very tiny scar on his, the tip of his nose. Um, that was not during the um, his capture. Memphis had that scar before um, he was picked up. Was it actually uh, bleeding? No, no, it was not. The, the, the scar was not it, was not bleeding. We never applied any medical treatment to his um, to Memphis. Um, he just, you know, had food, water, his bed set up, and put in the cage. I am I'm the one that put him in the cage. I'm not. I don't even know why she's saying that he snarled um, or showed lips. 
um, when I had him set up in his cage for the night. Um, Did anybody else have interaction with him that night aside from you? No. If if anyone did after um, I was gone, actually no, actually no. We were cl- we did um, we were still closing at four thirty at that time, so no, no one else would have had any interactions with Memphis. All right, I, 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 this is important. You guys have to forgive me because this is the, uh, this is the basis for the evaluation. So um, oh, and another thing, Joe, um, that. It's like tampering with documents, I think, with Kathleen putting that on the back of the uh, the intake form. If she had any notation she needed to note about Memphis, should have been it should have been written on a medical sheet, not on on you know on the back of that form. Okay. Um, and when she did that, who knows when she wrote that on there? Because that was not written the same day I wrote up that report. Did you ever, when was the first time you actually saw that notation? Um, on the internet. Okay. So from, <laughs> from February so. from February to August when you were at the shelter, you never saw that notation? No, on Facebook. That's when I saw that. And I, okay. I just can't believe that. Get on that. Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it, it's unbelievable that I didn't address it at the time. I just addressed you know, um, yeah, my information on the front of the page um, about the non-aggression bringing in Memphis, which is true. He's okay, not aggressive. So I, I just want to make sure I have my facts right. Are you telling me you did not see that notation before and after the first evaluation was done? No, I did not. Okay, so that because. Uh, and what was the, as far as you know, what was the reasoning for the first evaluation? Why did they ask for it? Um, the reasoning. Kathleen claimed that he showed lip. Oh, that little smile of his. Um, that he showed lip. And he growled. That's her claim. Um this supposedly had happened when no one else was around, which is really funny, uh, you know. But the, the the lip thing that she's saying that um, it's actually a smile, because Memphis does smile, the different smile that actually Jeff did mention in his video, um, and uh, he grunts when he's happy. He makes this weird grunting sound. Um, so, you know... Uh, I, I actually told Kathleen that Memphis grunts and Memphis smiles at people. He does not show lip or teeth. Um, he's never growled at, at you know any of the staff. Never. So I just couldn't so figure out where was she getting this from. Um, did anybody else while you were there have anything negative to say about Memphis while he was there? Um, no. I'll be honest. No, no one. Else. Everybody's adored Memphis. Memphis was spoiled rotten. <laughs> he got. He. I think he had. Um, he got a little bit more attention than a lot of the dogs that were actually at the shelter. Even Mike Spinella would take Memphis out in the backyard and remove his leash and allow Memphis to run in the back of our of the shelter building. 
this aggressive dog that Kathleen <laughs> claims that he is, this killer dog um, will snap any, at any moment. Um, Mike Spinella will take him to the back and allow him to run free. Um, can you tell us who was actually interacting with him while he was at the shelter, who was playing with him, walking him, actual interaction? Um, let's see. There was Nancy, another ACO, Jeff. Um, he was a kennel, uh, kennel staff. Uh, Mike, the other ACO. And um, I think that's, yeah, and myself. Okay. Did you ever witness the manager train him or take him into her office alone or any of that? Uh, she did take Memphis into her office um, and lock the door. She will have him behind locked doors. If she considered that as socializing, but there was no training. That, that You know, there was no training. Actually, Memphis does not, he does not, you know, he doesn't need training, to be honest. Memphis when I when we first brought, when I first brought in Memphis, you say sit, stay, lay down. Memphis did everything. I didn't have to give him treats. I didn't have to mani- manipulate Memphis in order for him to do this. Memphis, wherever he came from, he was already trained, from, you know, by his previous owner. Well behaved. So he, knew, so he knew commands before he came to the shelter. Yeah. He recognized them. Yeah. Okay. Very um, obedient. He's a very good dog. He he listens to everything we you know we tell him stay. He would stay. Um, even a, a few times um, when after his walk, after I you know took him for his walk, and we sent him to his cage, um, and I removed his leash, I would say stay, and the gate will be open, and he would sit there and watch me leave. I, uh, you know, he, he never tried to run out. He not, you know, after me. Um, and uh, other dogs would would do. They will run out. They will try to, you know, get out of the cage. But Memphis, he he didn't. He he really was just very relaxed. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, you have to forgive me for asking all these questions that we've heard. No, no, it's, it's a story fine. <laughs> before being <laughs> having access to you to ask you directly. Um, I, okay. I guess the, the other thing I really want to ask quick is, had, did you witness any anybody at the shelter saying negative things about him? Because you mentioned the, the bad dog thing. Was there anything else happening? Um, other than, well, Joaquin, he's afraid of every animal that comes in, <laughs> cat and dog, you know. Um, really, no, no. No one else said anything negative about Memphis. Um, other than Kathleen, sorry. Kathleen is the only person that had something bad to say, um, negative to say about Memphis. Um, there was a cop that came in. Um, he actually was, um, he would patrol the cemetery um, and the shelter on while he was on duty, and he will stop by and interact with some of the dogs. And he actually saw Memphis and fell in love with Memphis. He wanted Memphis. He um, took Memphis out of his cage. I, we, we did not know. We had no clue what happened because we were inside cleaning early in the morning, trying to get everything, you know, um, trying to get a place situated before 1 o'clock. And um, he took Memphis for a walk. 
this aggressive bad dog. And this was uh, in March, I believe. And he was already condemned as being an aggressive dog by Kathleen. So the same bad dog was walked by someone he didn't, you know, complete stranger and fed by complete stranger. Good, good. Um, sorry, I've got another caller that's dying to come in onto the onto the line as well. Um, we've also more information. Hi, Pat. Sorry for the delay on the line. How are you doing? Oh, no, she's dropped the call as I've fetched her in. Um, okay, I, I apologize to Pat, who's been waiting on the phone line. Obviously, I want to... I. The trouble is with everybody wants to come on the show, and I am trying to give people enough time to put their story and their information across. I do apologize to Pat that you've waited, but there's other people who've also been waiting on the phone lines a long time to call in. Pat, if you would like to call back in, I will put you straight on, but obviously there is loads of people that want to do their information and discuss their things on. So I apologize if I've offended anybody in any way that have had to wait, but there is loads here on the phone lines waiting as well. So again, I apologize, and I am just one person, so I'm trying my best. Um, we've also got um, Mary on the line, who has been waiting also patiently. Hi, Mary, how are you doing? Fine, thank you. How about yourself? Now, um, I- I'm catching up with everything eventually, thank you. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Mary, tell tell your information you've got to give, love. Um, okay, first let me say that I came into this when I first heard Jeff was being denied a dog. Um, I shop at his store, and uh, that was my first red flag. I was not involved with shelter volunteers prior. I did donate to the shelter. They, uh, I'm not a Bloomfield resident, but they do hold events in my town, and... Um, I have to say that after all this time, I've gone to try to get all the facts. And after all this time, I am no clearer on the situation from the health department, despite all my efforts. And, you know, I mentioned at the previ- at September's Board of Health meeting um, an article I found online when I tried to find information about this shelter manager, where it was from July 2010, and she said, you know, that she'd had a corporate career, and up until that point, which was only two years ago, her experience was in the corporate world and was only on a personal basis with the animals. It was, it was as a salesperson. We posted yeah, right, her correct. resume. And so mm-hmm. then I, have, I had since seen the resume, and uh, the points that Hillary made were excellent, saying that she dates everything back 20 years with, with dates and even the month and year. And then when it comes to the animal experience at the top, her her corporate experience ended in 2010, and then there are no dates applied, and she has Banfield Pet Hospital. Well, I went to look up that information because it says Portland, Oregon, and Banfield Pet Hospital is – that's their corporate office, and they are a vet hospital located in PetSmart stores throughout the country. That's where their locations are. Well, so they're, they're actually – they're actually – Wait, they're actually a franchise. PetSmart is affiliated with them and will send their customers to them. There is actually a vet hospital in Oregon. Okay, but they're in. They have branches and different locations in all. Yeah, it's a, like a franchise, like McDonald's. Right, and I I did actually go into one in Secaucus and ask, you know, how do you get a job here as a vet assistant? That what is listed on there, and was told that you know you could just apply online, and that no experience was necessary. And 
In addition, she has certifications listed on her last page with no dates whatsoever. And when I looked up some of those that she has through the Humane Society, um, some of them are online courses that can be completed in a couple weeks. Uh, And I've never been able to get an answer or understand why, despite attending all the meetings and asking questions and speaking, and no one has ever come forward with a problem with this dog. Not one person has spoken up at a meeting and said, I'm scared that this dog is out there, even Kathleen herself. And I don't understand why the what, – what just baffles me is how, how um, somebody with limited experience, her opinion is being held as a basis for this whole situation. And I'll tell you why. Because she's unqualified and they hired her. This is well, not and, the and first time it's happened. Thing. They don't want to be accountable. Well, and this is the other thing. I've looked more and more, and the, they had a Humane Society evaluation done in 2009, and the recommendations in the minutes from meetings say that one of the strongest recommendations was to hire a shelter manager, and yet nobody's been qualified since that time, and that fault all lies within the management. No, no, people have been qualified. Since they 2010? They don't use those people. Ramel? No, there were other people that were qualified. There were two ACOs there that could have done that job. Okay, yeah, but I'm saying who they appointed as shelter they manager. They overlooked those people, and it was intentional, obviously, you know. Right, right, but I'm saying like the people somebody they pointed chose, out earlier. they chose and gave the title to. And, right. you know, the mm-hmm. other thing is, is that, um, so no matter what, I, there's nobody else who's come forward. And, and if you were really concerned about this dog, then why don't you stand up and speak at a meeting and say, I met this dog, and he. I'm worried about him being out there. And she lying. thinks he's a time bomb, yet she'll lock herself in the office with him. And <laughs> yeah. she's wor- And this is what I, I laugh because I keep hearing the comment of, well, she's been working and, and keeping late at work, putting in all this extra time. Well, why in the minutes did she go part-time? Beginning, she's not the beginning doing that anymore. The beginning of she- May. Yeah, so she stopped that, doing- that lasted a very limited, that was a very small amount of time. Right, but they portray that. that. That's the thing is everything is portrayed that way, and so I don't see why. And and now, and, and the thing that um that that I just don't understand is also you know they tell Jeff, well, where are your notes? Where is this? Ask him for dates for credentials, things like that. And you know when people opened Memphis's file, there is nothing from her aside from that note on the back of the intake form regarding notes of working with him and that's what she was point. trying. Um, can, can I can I ask a question? Do we, do we still have Jim, Jeff, and Moira with us? Moira? Uh, yeah, Jeff. Um, Jeff's here. I'm here. Moira, are you Jim, still here? Okay. Yeah. Jim, Jim, are you, is Jim Crosby still here? I'm I'm still here. Yeah. Yes, okay, I'm question. still here as well. But I was just sorting out phone lines. <laughs> okay. A quick question for you three, since they brought up this topic, I think this is important to broach. Um, when if you have experience working in a shelter, what what do you learn from that experience, and what do you learn over a period of time when you're in that environment in regards to dogs and their behavior versus so not having been there? Like, what, what new things do you learn, or what would you like? Is that because that's a different environment than a home? And I'm trying to think of how to approach this question properly. But I guess I'll, I'll know, go first if you want. Y- yeah, please. The first thing I learned was to start your own rescue. <laughs> 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 well, 
all kidding aside, and I think uh, you posed to me last week as well, Joe, is um, that you you get to experience. And you know, I, I I volunteered at quite a few shelters, and obviously everyone knows that I was the train the volunteer trainer and evaluator at Bloomfield Shelter for about five years. And right. uh, you know, the the numerous shelters that I've been around, you you get the opportunity to see dogs change, and you know what what the the stresses of the shelter does to them uh and what stimulation does for them and like i mentioned last week you can have a real a, a really frustrated dog come into the shelter he decompresses after a while you get a better idea of what his true nature is and as you work with him you can see him progress you can also see that same dog who let's just say for whatever reason stays at the shelter for an extended period of time and this doesn't happen with all dogs, but this is just one of the lessons you can learn. Over time, regardless of what the stimulation is and what the training is, is at some point, and people refer to it as kennel craze, where they start spinning. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of rhymes or reason to them. But when you're exposed to shelter, to the life of shelter dogs for an extended period of time, you get to see a lot of changes in behavior, both positively and negatively. Uh, and... Uh, you also get to understand the people side of it as well. Because, like I mentioned, and I mentioned it all the time, is that the shelter is, you know, is just as much about the people as it is about the dogs. And the balance of all of those things together, I feel, is what makes or breaks a shelter. Um, yeah, Jim, I don't know I'd if you could to, chime in. Yeah, I'd have to say that from from the time that I spent running the shelter that I did and animal control, <clears throat> one of the you learn that there is a lot more going on to running a shelter and also to being an animal control officer than people think of, of, and that there's a lot of stuff to juggle. And yes, you do have you've got to juggle the humans and the dogs and the public and all of that together, and that, uh, yes, the dog's behavior, if they're left un, un, unaddressed and just simply abandoned there in the kennel, yeah, dogs do get, get kennel crazy. They, they start having um, uh, specific behaviors like spinning and chewing and so forth because they're bored and they're not being stimulated and they're not hitting a social environment and they're not their needs are not being addressed um but you know it's, it's like listening to Moira having having worked in, in the animal control environment people really don't have a clue all of the things that that an animal control or a shelter person uh deals with on a regular basis and i when i went took over and was running the shelter i went into it with <clears throat> a lot of dog experience and a full career as a law enforcement officer, and yet I still wound up learning things almost every day because it's a whole a whole nother um, environment. And you know, the, I think that uh, having substantial animal experience is very important for someone who is leading. Or, or directing a shelter, and I have seen cases um, where good programs have gone down down the tubes because um, 
the people who had taken over running shelters didn't have animal experience, but simply had, for instance, business experience. And now, not in every every situation, but I've seen some where where that has been a a very a very clear negative for the programs and has negatively affected the programs and the stuff that was going on at the shelter that was good before that person took over because they didn't have the animal knowledge. I think it, it has to be a balance uh, because as as a, especially as an animal control, you have to be the the adoption agency and the rescue agency and the law enforcement agency and the veterinary department and the complaint department and everything else and it has to all be wrapped together. If people I don't think appreciate that. If well, let me ask you one quick question since you were talking about that. If you what's the danger is if if you put someone in a position with that kind of responsibility without the experience, what kind of mistakes can be made and what kind of effect could they have on the animals and the people that are coming in? Well, I think the, the biggest the biggest thing that's going to be a problem is that that person is going to have to learn very rapidly and under a lot of pressure a whole lot of, of um, different lessons that if they were experienced with animals, and I mean, you know, with wide experience with animals in different circumstances beforehand, that they would be able to hit the ground much more effective than having to learn from the get-go. I mean, it, it would be kind of like me taking over, for instance, running an airport. Okay, I know that planes come in and planes go out, and I know absolutely nothing else about it. So if somebody appointed me as the head of an airport, that would be you know, kind of cool, but I would have to do an awful lot of running and learning exactly. at a dead run to try and catch up, to even begin to be confident, whereas even if I was a pilot, I would have a better idea of what was going on before I got there. Forget being an actual administrator. So right, and I the job title... That, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Well, I, I kind of wanted to hear from Moira, too, if, she, if she's still with yeah. us, because just what she's been learning uh, as an ACO, from uh, uh, like, what, what, what's your experience? What have you learned while you've been on the, uh, actually working and being at a shelter? Um, well, this actually is my first time working inside of a shelter. Um, I've never done this before. So this is this was really totally different for me, Um uh, well, where did you that, work before Bloomfield? Um, Humane Society in Newark, and we were always on the road, never in the shelter unless we were dropping off um, animals that were picked up. So I've never spent time more than 10 minutes in the shelter um, at my first job. So this was really, this is totally different. But you've had a sense of experience picking up strays. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, my gosh. We service probably 15 towns or more. Wow. And that's Essex County. We covered a lot of Essex County. Um, it's not a easy job, but hey, it, was, it was a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun working with them. Um, we did get a lot of dogs and cats. Every day, there's never a dull moment. So um, when I got the job at Bloomfield and was told that that it's going to be 
cleaning in the morning, dealing with, you know, cats and dogs, and then as calls come in, we go to our call. This was really something that I never expected <laughs> to be doing. So, um, but, it, you know, hey, I, I'm adjustable. I can easily adjust to anything, so um, it wasn't and a problem. Honestly, more, more, and honestly, Mara, that's really what most small agencies do, is, is you don't have the luxury of having just road officers like a big right. agency would do, even though you may have a big population if it's a small agency. You know, mm-hmm. there, there were times that I even wound up cleaning kennels because we had people sick and it just had to get done. Right. But uh, it was not a problem, well, you know. I adjusted to it. Um, to, mm-hmm. You know, my my problem, you know, as I worked there. Actually, my first three months, the first three months working there was was really smooth. Um, as soon as Kathleen Georgievich started working there, it's when everything went downhill. Um, anyone can tell you I'm a quiet. I'm a quiet person. I, you know, I I really don't. I don't start trouble like I, I don't I keep to myself most of the time. Um and she attacked me a few times at the shelter. She approached me, she she threatened she has threatened me. Um she has said racist things to me to what you know, it was just really really ugly. It's a very hostile work environment. Other than having to deal with the lies she was putting out there about Memphis being an aggressive dog. I had to deal with her own personal, um, you know, her own vendetta, or however you want to put it, um, because she told us, she told me and a few staff members, we're not allowed to tell people that Memphis is a good dog, and I disagree with her to her face that I am not. I refuse to tell the public or anyone that asks about Memphis and say he's a bad dog because he's not. And yeah. from then, she had it out for me. It was like, okay. This, this is what mm-hmm. concerns me because it's not, it's not just Memphis anymore. And, uh, Mr. Crosby, I hope the shelter does contact you again because there are four dogs that have been, uh, I don't know if they've been flagged correctly, they've been flagged, no dogs, no cats, no kids, and it, it cuts down on the amount of people that are able to adopt them, and it's a concern for me because they're all pets. That's all four out of seven. That's four out of seven dogs. That's more than half of the dogs that were listed yeah. on Petfinder at that time. And it's oh, uh, really quick, I just want to um, mention that there was a dog that came in, um, another pit bull that came in before Memphis, and he had aggression. He was labeled as, you know, um, she said that he can be adopted out with someone that has children um, or just any adopter. He was never even uh, That's Bubblicious. His, his name at the shelter was Bubblicious. I believe his name was Shane. Um and Bubblicious tried to bite a lot of people. He was never evaluated by anyone. But he was adopted out in a heartbeat. But he didn't act like that when he came into the shelter. That no, was a case not. of kennel stress. He was a young dog. He was not mm-hmm. getting enough exercise. And it was affecting him. But he did fabulously in his adoptive home. 
he did. But the thing is, my point is, he right, condemned right. Memphis. He condemned Memphis that he's a bad dog when Memphis never tried to um, bite anyone. He never lunged at anyone that stood in front of his cage. He never tried to bite a kid. Um, anyone that stuck their finger in his cage never did any of those things. But yet you have Bubba, who he is a great dog, yes, but he has um, issues. He had things that needed to be worked on. And she never addressed, she never made an attempt to have it corrected. It was just put him in a home with no children. Like, seriously, do you not think this young couple will want to have a child later on? Think outside of the box, Kathleen. You know, it's not about you. It's about everyone. Mm-hmm. Moira, I have a question. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, after issues came up with Memphis, since you were still there to August, um, did did a board of health member ever ask you your account of bringing him in? No, never. you were never. What did never. Mr. Corey or Mr. Fitzpatrick ever ask you? Nope. No, no. So they never. never, never. They never attempted to get your account of things. The only thing they had for your account, in, and even though the intake form says you brought him in, that mm-hmm. they did. No, no one asked you. Your no, no one ever asked me. No, okay. they never Thank did. You. They um. Um, Mike Spinella and Kathleen um, are the ones that communicate with Lori and Fitzpatrick mm-hmm. um, because they have that little bond with um, Lori and Fitzpatrick. So most yeah, of but the, they're always the preaching firsthand knowledge. So you think they'd go to the source? Yeah, no, they never talk to me about capturing Memphis and um, you know where, when, how, um, nothing. None of the, you know, not at all. They never did. So and Mr. McLaughlin's testimony was based in the letter that he wrote to the town council was not lie. your first-hand account. That, no. Okay. no. I just wanted to check that. Thanks. That's a lie. Um, another thing I just wanted to mention um, with, regarding Memphis um, coming in his first few days being there, um, Memphis never really barked. He was very quiet. Um, and the day he the day I heard him bark, his first, you know, first, first time barking, it he sounded um, as if his voice was strained, and uh, I never really, you know, have heard a dog with a strained voice um, before. So I mentioned to Spinella, Mike Spinella, the other ACO, what, you know, what's wrong with his voice? Like, that's what I said. You know, I asked him, what's wrong with Memphis' voice? And he said, um, Memphis probably was a drug dog, and um, they probably cut his vocal cords. So I said, seriously, because I really didn't know that they can do that. And uh, that, he said, that may be that that may be the source of what this um, all the accusations about him being used as, as protecting drugs. Yes, that is the source. That statement. Yeah, that is. It's, it's Mike Spinella. He, he, he. You know, he's claiming making accusations that Memphis um, is a drug dog, and uh, that's why his voice um, was, you know, sounds so so weak. But as time went by, and Memphis was more confident with his bark, it got louder and deeper. So there was no issue with his, with his vocal cords anymore for him to continue saying that Memphis is a drug dog. Um, you know, in a in a drug area, 
Um, and Memphis was not picked up in the borderline of Newark. He was picked up in the borderline of East Orange. When I first got the call to pick up Memphis, he was in the borderline. The closest borderline he was in was Glenridge. Then we ended up in the border of Bloomfield and East Orange. Never, he was not picked up in North. It was not the borderline, you know, of North, which I'm from. I'm from North, and I have a lot of my neighbors that have pit bulls. I live in a suburban, the suburban section of North, um, and a lot of my neighbors do have pit bulls here. So for him to say, you know, what he said about Memphis being, you know, a drug dog in North, it's just really really biased. It's just ridiculous. And that whole thing baffles me is because the the fact is, and, and I was appalled uh, when he spoke on the radio. His, I have been to the meetings and did not know prior to uh, her standing up and speaking about being bitten at the shelter. I did not know the woman. And when I heard him speak about, you know, her telling her story so inaccurately, um, that's been presented now at two meetings. I couldn't believe it. And the whole thing is for him to say these untruths on the radio is he is a member of the health department, which is currently in litigation. He should have never signed on to do a radio show. That shows such poor judgment right there yeah. that he would agree to do that because anyone in litigation as a party should should say, I can't talk about it, much less go on a show that's permitted promoted to be about Memphis. He mm-hmm. wasn't tricked into thinking it was something else. And now I, I hope the Board of Health really listens to that because as of Thursday night's meeting, you know, that they had not heard it and it brought to their attention that I hope they all do their due diligence and listen to it and really realize the poor judgment of that man and they need to go back and question everything that that has been brought before them previously that they have relied on his testimony for. Because if he can go on radio and do that and make that kind of decision, they have got to question his judgment. Well, he got a raise. <laughs> yeah, but, but see, and then that's the other thing. Is and that a car. Was in closed and he session. got a car, too. That was done in closed session. And, yet, yeah, why do they keep taking on interlocal contracts when they can't handle their own town? Yeah. I mean, yeah, they're just like, it's really that's disgusting. Mr. Crosby, I have a question for you, um, if you don't mind. Um, sure. You mentioned, and the reason this came up is because I attended the Open Paw Shelter Training, and Kelly uh, Dunbar also made the comment that was similar to you. You had remarked about how impressive their numbers were on their kill rate and uh, of two percent, and how well they did. And Kelly brought it up at the Open Paw, saying how phenomenal that was for a municipal <laughs> shelter. Um, do you recall, you may not even remember, but the statistics that they gave you, were they based on a number of years or one year or how they came to that number? I don't know. Um, where, I don't did not see any documentation on that. I was told by Mr. Fitzgerald that they had this very tiny, less than 2% um, euthanasia rate. He didn't explain whether it was over a year or over six months. Um, but in talking with them about the number of animals they took in versus how, how many they actually put down, it sounded, um, con- you know, it sounded consistent, you know, that they only put down a very, very, very few animals. But then that's an agency there, remember, that takes in a very 
low number of animals a year. You know, they only mm-hmm. take in a few hundred. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and um, that's... So, yeah, I didn't see any documentation of it, but then at the time, you know, you know, if somebody somebody tells me about something like that, it's like, okay, I you're you're, you're the boss here. I'm going to believe you. Right. Can um, you tell me exactly, or tell us exactly what Open Paw is? Now, the reason I'm asking that is because I've been on their website. I don't see any testimonials. I don't see any awards. It looks like they've been around maybe ten years. And when you mm-hmm. mentioned earlier about inexperienced people going in and having to learn everything, which is a lot, to me this is just one more instance of someone having to be told how to do their job. Um, the Open Paw program is, uh, I, I'm not sure exactly how long it's officially been around, but it was started based on the uh, work of Dr. Ian Dunbar and Ian has been around for, for, for 30 years mm-hmm. and is, is a great trainer and behaviorist. He's a Ph.D. and a vet, and mm-hmm. um, I, I know Ian, and uh, it's a, it, he is extremely um, talented and uh, experienced. And Kelly's his wife. Uh, Open Paw was something they put together as a program to help socialize and um, adopt basically shelter dogs and to mm-hmm. give them the enrichment and the positive human contact that they need in order to uh, be successful in adoption situations. Um, Why would a shelter have them come in? To uh, it, it's actually a great a great thing to be able to have them come in because that way you can give people more training and information. People just assume that they that, that you know that they know what to do with dogs, and they don't always. Uh, there's lots of misconceptions, and, you know, people have prejudices, oh, pit bulls are all bad, or they have lost dogs, or, or all German shepherds will leap at your face, or whatever it is. Um, by coming in and doing the training, what they're doing is, is putting everybody on, on the same page and giving them the same procedure so you don't have the dogs being given different messages by different people. Okay, so let me ask you this. Would a qualified manager need to have Open Paw come into the shelter? Um, Well, yeah, very possibly because uh, it's like when I was running the animal shelter I ran, if I'd had an opportunity to have Open Paw come in, I would have invited him because it would have simply increased the skills of my staff. Mm -hmm. And... um, it's, it's like if I had an opportunity tomorrow to attend the open paw training, I would go do it despite all the things I've done because mm-hmm. there's always something else you can learn. And to be successful, especially in dog behavior, and Jeff will back this up, you've got to have as many tools in your toolbox as possible. So you can always learn something from the next guy. I've, I've been mm-hmm. to Ian seminars. Um, you know, even though I, I teach seminars, I still go to other people's seminars. We attend each other's stuff. We we swap stuff back and forth because we're all learning all the time. If you stop learning, that's, that's when you wind up making mistakes. Well, absolutely. All right, but I'm just I'm just trying to clarify because um, Kathleen George wasn't at the shelter but a, couple, a few months when she wanted them to come in, and, you know, the volunteers are gone for the most part, and I just... 
you know, the health department's always crying they don't have money. And I'm sure you probably don't even care about any of this, but I'm just trying to figure this out in my own head. I just, to me, it's another waste of money. I feel like if they had hired a qualified person, this wouldn't be necessary, especially at this time when they keep complaining that they're broke and they don't well, even have any I money to help Memphis. So. And, and I don't know whether Open Paw charges, whether they actually charge to come in or whether it's something that's done for free. There no, are there are programs. That, okay. See, I don't know because I. They got to make money somehow, right? Well, because they said at the Open Paw training, they said it was uh, NTNN was funding, I, I believe. Okay. But there was some mention of somebody, uh, somebody helping to bring it to them. Well, like I said I, I don't know because uh, I never had the opportunity to bring them down here to Florida because they're already out, they're out in in California. But I did while I was at my shelter, I did read their materials and study them and pass as much information along about them as I could to my staff without having them come in. Um, so having, you know, a program like that come in, whether it be Open Paw or there's, um, there's a program that another group does called Training Wheels where they, they have uh, outreach into communities and actually come in and help uh, train and inform the shelter people and the ACOs. Um, how to increase inter positive interaction with the community. Those are good things to bring in, and mm -hmm. um, because you know, it, it, it running a shelter and doing a shelter, there, there's so many different things. But if someone has specialized knowledge that you can reach out and tap, so that your folks don't have to, uh, you know, reinvent the wheel, then that's a good thing. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. I, I would agree. I would agree. Bring, Especially Under a, a different circumstance. Like, yeah, I, especially a life-saving program that, or, or a program that could save lives by making mm -hmm. more dogs adoptable. Yeah. Um, and thereby, there, thereby, you know, reducing your kill rate and, you know, in, in, increasing the, the, the success of your programs. I guess I would agree under different lives. circumstances if there was already a qualified manager in place, but her resume clearly shows that she is not qualified with no animal care experience. So my other question is, when they talk about minimum requirements on their website, what does that mean exactly? That's what they, that's what their, you know, their focus is, minimum requirements. What does that mean? Well, in, in, in government hiring purposes, you have to a government job. You have to post what minimum requirements are, and that means mm -hmm. that and somebody with less than that cannot be hired for that job. And a lot of those are set by law. Um, mm -hmm. You know, for for instance, to in, in the state of Florida, to be an animal control officer, you have to have a valid driver's license, and you have to you know there's some some minimum standards, and they're usually set pretty low. Because uh, because you have to you know you, you don't have to choose the lowest people but you have to give everybody an opportunity um, that within reason to apply for a job as a police officer for instance I had to have uh, or right now here in in Jacksonville you have to have a four year degree you have to have a valid driver's license you have to um, have a clean criminal record. And you have to pass various other criteria, and that's that's where you start. That's not what gets you hired. That just gets right. you in order to apply. Mm -hmm. So that's what minimum standards are. Is is you know how that's where you, that's where applicants have to start out. 
then from there you start getting more job specific. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you. Um, one one thing I'd like to ask Mr. Crosby, since he ha- has the experience of being a shelter manager, you're hearing about some of the issues that everybody's talking about. If, we're, if our goal is to actually really try and help the shelter that's here in this town or any other shelter having these kinds of difficulties, what what can be done to aid the situation or what can be done to improve the shelter? Like, well, what are the, what are the things that we can do as a community and ask our Board of Health to do to, to not only run it but to always be improving it? Good question. Um, yeah, and, and, and that's, that's a very good question. I, I think it's important first that, that whatever has happened up to X date, everybody has to start over and say, okay, we're going we're gonna to start from the word, from, from, from the go. And we're going to cooperate and communicate both directions. And we're going to be open about information. We're going to be open about statistics. We're going to be transparent in what we're doing, uh, you know, for, for the agency. And the community has to say, we want to support the efforts of, of our shelter to be a positive thing and not just be the dog catchers. We want professionalism. We want um, professional behavior, and we want, if you want, reduced kill or low kill or whatever, and then stand behind and say, and we will help find the resources to be able to enable you to do this. It it has to be a cooperative venture. It it can't be, you know, you, you can have a shelter that means well, and wants to do great things, and if they don't have the support of the community, they're still stuck. All right, what about vice versa? Right. And you can have a community that wants to do lots of things, but if you don't have a shelter that is forward-looking and uh, professional and wanting to make a difference in the community, then you're equally stuck. So you have to get everybody to drop back and put away the politics and put away... Uh, the personal enmities that may have come up and, you know, well, so-and-so was ugly to me six years ago over such-and-such a situation and drop back and say, okay, instead of what we've got now, let's all back up and and start over and work together because that's how you're going to make the biggest difference is is working together. If, If either side is not holding up their end of the bargain, then it, 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 it's going to fail no matter how well-intentioned you are. Um, you know, it, 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 it's, got to, it's got to be, I said, it's, it's, it's a tough job uh, yeah. on, from, from both sides. It's a tough job. It's a tough job to do, do the shelter side, and it's a tough job to be a, a community activist and uh, supporter because there's a lot of work to be done. By both, by both parties, uh, How? a lot. Well, a lot to, to to have a really positive um, program, but it can be done. Well, the other thing only... I want to ask, really quick, and you have to forgive me, is, is since we're having yeah. difficulty getting communication from them, how how can we reach these people? How can we get them to sit down and be like, look? We want this run well. We like our volunteers reinstated. We want to have an adoption committee. We want to have all these things because it, it, hel- it helps the dogs and it helps the people coming in to get them. How do we get there? Like, how do you, how do you, 
when you have someone that's that's closed their mind and has set down the thing and said, this is it, we're going to kick people out and do this and do that, how do you reach them? How do you, you, know, how do you put the olive branch out to try and resolve the situation? That, that, that again, is, is, is probably... That's probably the toughest part is to get both parties to the table. I think that one of the things you can do, and, and whether it's this or I was talking with Sue earlier about legislative issues, both here and in the U.K., um, instead of going into a situation saying, you're doing it wrong and we don't like what you're doing, you have to go into a situation and say, we're not happy with the way things are going, but let us propose some alternatives Unfortunately, hmm. that's been done, and it didn't work. I think well, we're kind of at a standstill. Then, so um, like a Hillary, just let, Hillary, just let him what? finish what is his idea. Just let him finish okay. idea. Go on I, him. I'm just letting him know that we I, have tried. Yeah, well, and, and like I said, I don't, I don't know that you have. I'm, and right, I'm not right. saying, saying you're suggesting that. But you also have to get both sides willing to come to the table. And if you can't get cooperation from level X, then maybe you need to go above level X and as far as you need to go to get someone to say, okay, we have a community here that wants input. Um, You need to to constructively put together a program to get input and meaningful input, you know, just listening to people and, and nodding your head and smiling, and I'm not saying that anybody's doing that, but if you know, in situations I've seen where that's happened, that doesn't accomplish anything because you're not you're not really addressing the problem. You're just you're just going through the motions. You have to have both sides have to be committed, and um, both sides have to go in in good faith. To, and you have to somehow get that cooperation. And um, sometimes uh, you can find it, and sometimes you have to. Uh, Work your way up higher, and you know, unfortunately, there there are times where simply, for whatever reason, people are going to plant their feet, and you're not going to get it. And um, then then you need to keep keep looking for ways in the door, or keep looking for ways uh, to if, if that doesn't work, then keep, then look for ways to change the uh, the management structure or the political structure. See, the thing is, Jim, this is what I actually said to Mike Fitzpatrick before he actually came onto the show. I said to him that I wanted to be, if you like, okay, a very public mediator, but I wanted to see his side of it. I'm not one that just listens to one side. I wanted to hear both. But he literally, quarter of an hour even into the show, was already stringing himself up with just simple questions that I asked. I think everybody in the chat will agree that it was not anything of a difficult question, but he was saying things he didn't know about certain things. This was a dog that was in the public eye that literally was, I'm not being funny, it's not one of the dogs that's in the shelters that's one of the others. Memphis is obviously top of the agenda because every single day he must have another letter on his desk about him for whatever reason. And, but he couldn't even answer some of the questions. And, and I have had proof from, from different information, um, emails, and literally information as in photocopies of stuff that actually proves that he lied. Well, how can you help somebody that doesn't give you a trust, trustworthy answer? How can you actually try and mediate with them? And that's somebody that's in the UK that isn't a threat to him or anybody. 
who's literally saying, I want to hear two sides of the story. It's just so difficult. And I've heard everybody, everybody that I've spoke to, I've said, you know, I mean, even Jeff said that he wanted to take donations into that board meeting to be able to hand over to them. Does that sound like a guy that's not handing out olive leaves? Really? Or a bunch? Like I said, it's it's the, the human part of that is the hardest is the hardest part to deal with, and the politics and so forth. And you know, it's it's obviously gotten to a situation where both sides are, are definitely at loggerheads. And um, you know, I don't know. I, I unfortunately don't have a magic answer on on how to make people sit down and cooperate. I wish I did, because if I did, yeah. I'd be a whole lot wealthier than I am now. That's you know? right, and I would be working <laughs> Me <for> too. <laughs> really, can I, exa- it, it, precisely. Can I, yeah, if, I, if I can just, uh, one thing I do want to mention quickly is we do have a council member in town who has come out during a meeting with the suggestion of moving the shelter from the health department under the council to operate as its own entity to try and take the politics out of the shelter. So then once yeah, a month yeah. they would just deliver a report to the town council. I think it, it I mean the proposal Jim if you, maybe you can give us an opinion is basically take the politics out, get it out from the health department, put it under the town council as its own separate entity and reboot from ground zero, re from the ground up reboot it. Having a shelter as its own entity is not a bad idea, uh especially if it's going if it's going to increase transparency and make um, make it more responsive and accountable to the council and to the public. Um, personally, I like seeing uh, an animal control agency underneath the police department or sheriff's department because at the end of the day, they're still an enforcement agency. They're, you know, that's that's part of what makes it difficult doing animal control is. You're 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 sort of almost a cop, and you're sort and you're definitely an adoption person, and you're sort of almost expected to solve behavior problems, and you're also suspect, expected to handle complaints from the public. Um, so at least the enforcement part of it, to me, makes more sense to to either be a standalone agency or to to be accountable to the police department or a policing agency because there's an enforcement issue. And most of the time, animal control has to work closely with the police anyway because they're picking up straight <coughs> police calls or they're getting bite reports or the police are raiding someplace and they need your help um, to, to corral animals or whatever. So either, you know, I've seen them under, under health departments and I think the health departments, although health departments have an, intri- a, 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 an intrinsic need to be involved in, in health issues like rabies control and are usually required to be by law in the state, um, the rest of it is not so much a health issue. Um, I've seen bad moves like putting animal control under the, under parks and recreations. I think that's insane. Um, <laughs> animal control has nothing to do with parks or recreation. Um, mm. you know, either so, either well, well, as a either a standalone agency or or under under a police department both both would make sense. Would it would yeah. it make sense to you then based off of that if you had a standalone agency, however the animal control aspect of it would fall under the police department? Uh, you can't really in a yeah. small place you don't have the resources to split it. Your animal control 
and and your shelter, you're doing both things at the same time. I think trying to split it uh, is 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 a bad idea. All right. Well, then, then Sue, the thing I would put to you is, then let's embrace that. The one positive thing that has come out of this, let's try and support moving it under the council so it could be its own agency and reboot it. If we need to get qualified personnel, we'll get them. If we need to get volunteers back, let's get them. Let's do what we can to take it out of this political mess and get it rebooted so it can operate at a low kill rate, be you know, treat the animals well and treat the public well and try and try and get a, a, a rainbow out from these clouds, if you will. And fast. Yep. With a qualified person in charge. Well, yeah, good personnel the whole nine yards and just reboot it from the ground up. Yeah. And and make sure and make sure that when you do that, you know, it if this if the kill rate is actually as low as it is, and I have no reason to doubt what I was told, you know, you might find records that say elsewise, but you know, if that is true, make sure you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Because right. if if their if their kill rate is honestly less than two percent, that is a tremendous positive, huge, cool thing. And you you need to to guard that with tooth and nail from being dismantled, no matter who's running it or or who's in charge of it. That is such a positive thing that it needs to be defended by both sides standing together, not fighting at each other. That's the one you need to stand back-to-back against all comers and defend. Mm -hmm. Well, just so you know, I had asked that because one of the points I I said is, you know, based on what time where those figures came from is because uh, if those numbers are indeed accurate, they need to give more credit for those numbers to the volunteers who gave their time over the years and did such an excellent job with the adoptions. Well, I, I I agree with you. I think we this this positive effort. I'd like to see. I don't, Jim. I don't know if there's any material you could suggest that we could look at. But you know, where can we pull a shelter manual from? That's a good place to pull a shelter manual. Where can we pull operations? Like, where can we pull paperwork to give to the town council to say, look, we want to help you as a community to fix this. You know, here's information that we found. Here here's reliable sources. Here's you know. Try and give them some kind of paperwork package to prove to them as a community we want to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, as, as far as uh, actual functional animal control rules, the, the best animal control agency in North America, bar, bar none, is Calgary Animal Control in Calgary, Alberta, in Canada, run by a friend of mine, Bill Bruce. That is the finest agency in the, in the American continent. Um, They're they're willing to work with anybody. Um, As far as adoption procedures, um, No Kill Nation will, you know, reach out and provide all sorts of uh, information and resources and guides to uh, working with adoption programs and TNR programs and uh, so forth. So there, there, there are some resources out there. Email me and I'll and I'll send you some uh, some contacts. I was just going to say, Jim, if I sent you an email, could you just send me a big package of everything, please, of any links you think will help us? (laughs) Sure. Thank you, Jim. No problem. Right, Jim, I'll definitely email you for that. Now, I've just got to bring my my old mate onto the show because he's got withdrawal symptoms and he just wants to come and say hello, and you'll never guess who it is. Hi there, darling. (laughs) How are you, Miss Sue? (laughs) 
Hour. <laughs> okay, darling. He had to How come on. Bless him. <laughs> what an amazing, what, I just wanted, what, I've been listening on and off. I've been at work, but what a powerful, amazing show. Just, just unbelievable. And, um, you know, I know, I know that good is going to come out of this. And I, you know, I think a lot of awareness is being created. So I, you know, I think in the long run, this is, uh, you know, it's terrible what's happening, but I think in the long run, I think a lot of things are being learned and I think we're going to learn a lot of things. And Jim, I want to thank you for all, for all your knowledge. You're, you're quite amazing. <clears throat> Well, thank you for your positive suggestion. Yeah, and 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 I just gotta say that I, again, I think that the the best way to handle a problem is to is to recognize the problem and then to try and give positive suggestions and alternatives because you wind up if you don't, you get into the kind of the kind of hole that you know you dig yourself into a huge hole. And uh-huh. it, 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 it's got to be a situation where instead of, and I tell people all the time because they want to complain. And again, Sue and I were talking earlier about uh, BSL in, in the in the United Kingdom. Instead of just mm-hmm. saying we want to do away with this, say okay, we recognize that this is your problem, and here is mm-hmm. another way of solving it, rather than just simply yeah. banning a whole class of dogs. So you exactly. go in and you say exactly. we recognize we recognize the problem. Um. So let us propose an alternative that might work even better without yeah, exactly. losing the good parts of what you've got. And the good part of what you've got there is, again, the fact that if you've got a, a less than 2% kill rate, then that's something you need, you, that needs to be protected. Yeah, but, you know, the big thing that Sue talks about is OSL. That's Sue's big thing, and it's true owner. You know, it, it you know, comes back to the owners, which is true. You right. know, that, you know, you, you, the owners have to take responsibility also. You know, like I say, Jim, and he was ever on there, you know, you know, what terrible things were done to Patrick and how many people were united and how much good's coming out of it. Well, I believe that Memphis has taken it to the next step, and now, you know, through all this, we're learning more, and Memphis has certainly united people and brought more people together. So I think, you know, with the knowledge and, you know, with the awareness and everything else, I do believe in the wrong, long run good will come out of this. Yeah, it's, it's important to, to, to it's important to shake out, you know, to to, to look at a, a situation that's become negative and say, okay, how can we how can we proceed from this point? We've gotten here. Correct. We're, we're Correct. in trouble. Okay, let's get let's go forward and just put the past behind us. Exactly. Learn from what the mistakes we've made and move on. Exactly. And you, yeah, you move I'm, on. And I agree. You, yeah. Oh, man, on, that, on that positive note, guys, I actually have to sign off because I do need to have dinner with my wife tonight. I, I want to thank everybody, <laughs> but I do have to get running. Joe, uh, Joe, Joe never say I have to have dinner with my wife. <laughs> <laughs> Take it from the guy who's going to say she's older than you either. Well, hopefully yeah. there won't be a picture of me in a crate, both, uh, you know, signing on later on, okay? Joe? Joe? Yeah. Sue, can we do a little, you think we can do like a mini follow-up on Tuesday, if anyone can call in for the Tuesday show? We've already got the link ready, um, and it'll be on the Ask Sue show. It's already on the Ask Sue show, but I'll post it again on the Ask Sue show group as well. Tuesday follow-up show. Thank thank you guys very, very much. Bye, Joe. Everybody have a good night. Okay, bye-bye, Joe. Bye, Joe. Bye-bye, Joe. Can I can I just say something about all of this, right? And this is going to go on a bit of a bigger level here and talk about opening my umbrella to even bigger. At Uh-oh. the end of the day, I think I think I can feel a rant coming on here, so just be careful. But um, 
I just want to say to everybody, Lennox brought loads of people together. We've had Memphis, exactly. we've had Patrick and everybody, and we've had thousands of people have joined all over the world. This is not just Bloomville or just not UK, not just America or whatever. This is worldwide, okay? But it is now time when all of us can actually make a stand. And it's like Jim said, let's grab the positives out of this. We have got thousands and thousands and thousands singing off the same hymn sheet, but now we've got to stand as a choir and approach our governments, which includes these small little fry, and I'm going to say that, because Bloomfield, let's face it, is just one in thousands that are all over the country that may be doing things behind the scenes that we don't agree with. But at the end of the day, there is cruelty, there is all different things all over the world, and all of us could do a massive stand if we stood as a choir rather than singing a duet, just one or two of us together. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, this has brought thousands and thousands of people together. And if we can make awareness of Bloomfield, let's face it, we can make awareness of all over the world. It doesn't just have to be there. It's not just going to be them that have got uh, problems or whatever. There's places that have got short of money. There's people that are short of staff. There's people that have just got problems within or not the right staff or whatever. Mm-hmm. But instead of us having a go at everybody, we should be literally uniting all the whole world and saying, you know what, we've had enough now. The governments have got to take some of this stress off us and say something's got to change. And until we start attacking these governments that aren't changing anything and are just letting it potter on through, we're never going to get anywhere in life. That goes with changing, like myself and Jeff were talking, um, Jim, were talking before the show, and Jim was saying sort of the same sort of lines as OSL as me, so if that means that me and Jim can, are talking on the same hymn sheet, and let's face it, I'm just a mum who lives in the UK who loves dogs, and Jim's got a, the professional level and a higher scope, why does that not mean that we can all work together and all get that? BSL's exactly. never going to be ended, but we can change into something that's positive that's going to make a difference. And I hope that with our Sue show, that's exactly the words that I want to hear that we were positive and that we all got together and made a difference. And only us can do that. We can't blame society anymore. Each one of us right. is part of that society. And Sue, sorry. I want to... Uh, right. want to I'm, yeah, I'm, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Sue. No, it's all right. Carry on. <laughs> I just want to, uh, as always, at the end, I want to thank you for bringing us all together. And I think Sue deserves a little round of applause there from all of us. She certainly... <laughs> thank you. Thank you. You hear me clap? Now, I'll get my dog barking again, too. But, but you know, I, I, I call Sue the coach. She's truly brought us all together. She's given us a forum. Uh, she lets everyone express their views, and that's the most important thing, and that's, and that's why, we all, that's why we, all, we all love our Sue so much. We love you, Sue. Thank, Thank you, you very much. I, I, my cheeks are now glowing. Thanks for that, guys. <laughs> Love you, too. <laughs> hey, Sue, um, by the way, before I forget, did you ever get that picture of Memphis you were promised by Mike Fitzpatrick? No. Well, um, I was just going to bring that up for a finishing point, actually, and you beat me to it. Jim, Sorry. I actually asked on the show, um, my one request that I asked for was would he be able to – Would um, Fitzpatrick be able to literally forward a picture of Memphis to let us know that he's okay or a video of him exactly like what they asked with Lennox just a picture just proof and everything else I would just like okay. to announce to the whole of the world we still are waiting for a picture or a video and we have had nothing and Sue he said it would be coded and dated those were his words coded and yes. dated Jim could you have a listen to that, the other show 
And then if you want to come on the Ask Sue show and then give a bit of an answer to that on Tuesday, you're more than welcome. Okay. Is that okay? Yeah, that's fine. Excellent, excellent. Well, um, it's getting down to three minutes, and I've got to say a lot of thank you. So, uh, first of all, thank you very much, Howard, for calling in. I really appreciate it, darling. Well, thank you for having me on. <laughs> and, and do you have a good the rest of the day, won't you? I will, of course. I'm going back to work. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> all right, then, darling. Thanks very much, Howard. Talk okay, soon. okay. Drop. Take care. Bye, Howard. Bye-bye, guys. Love you all. Talk to you later. Bye. Right, and thank you very much to Moira, who's um, called in. Thank you very much for giving us all that information. We really appreciate that. Thank you very yeah, much. Yeah, thank you, Moira. You're welcome. <laughs> Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Bye. And thank you very much to Mary, who also called in. Thank you for calling in. You're welcome. Thank you, Mary. Bye-bye. Thank you, Mary. Bye-bye. And a big, massive, massive UK hug for Jeff. Thank you, Jeff, for calling in. Uh, no worries. Thanks for having me once again. And thank and, you, Jim, uh, yeah. for, for your time. We really appreciate it. No problem at all. You're very Definitely. Welcome. Okay, Jeff. Thanks ever so much, darling. Catch up with you soon. Love to Diana as well. Bye. Okay, bye. Jeff. bye. And, Jim, um, well, even a even bigger hug for you for taking the time because we really do appreciate every minute you've spoken with us tonight. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Much. You're very, you're very welcome, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad to be able to uh, assist, and you know, I'm glad to be able to be a part of an effort. Like I said, the, the whole thing I think that needs to be a bottom line to, to all of this, and, and it's, it's great that everybody's moving. Is that, is that you, you've got to cooperate to be able to improve the situation. You've got to look at where there's problems and put exactly the bad part behind and give and, and try to build something constructive instead. And I think that's what you're, you're, you're doing here. I'm really am trying, Jim. And if you would like to sit on the on the garden fence with me any time with uh, Ashley's <laughs> show, I would really, really appreciate it. <laughs> sure, anytime. Steve. Y'all have a good Jim, night. Jim, thank you very much thank for calling so in, much, and uh, Jim. a big hug to your lovely wife as well. Uh, bye bye. Okay, bye bye, Jim. Oh, well, Hillary, I think we did quite well there, darling. I think everybody did fantastic. And I to tell everybody if you've not seen the links already the truth about the bloomfield health department is a page on facebook uh, myself and debs and um hillary are all going to be doing sorting that out if you've got any information please forward it on to us um on that page anything documentation but we don't want slander on there we don't want all loads of rubbish going on there it's got to be no. truth and evidence so yeah well um, any thank you experiences some- yeah Definitely, Sorry. definitely. So, Hillary, thank you very much for joining me on this ASU show. No problem. Thank you so much I'm for hosting and inviting everybody. It's quite all right. Thank you very much, darling, for calling in. Okay, I'll talk to you soon. Cheers. Thank you, everyone, Bye-bye. for your support. Okay, cheers, love. Bye-bye. Bye. Right, a very quick 16 seconds of very soon quick rant time. Uh, please, everybody, to keep this show going, we need to join, you need to join the ASU show group on Facebook. This is to make this show even bigger. Thank you very much to all of my callers, to everybody in the chat, and I love you all very much. Please keep joining on the Ask Sue show to see what's coming up soon. Howard Show with myself on Tuesday for a follow-up. And uh, again, I cannot thank you guys enough. Join Ask Sue show on Facebook or Ask Sue 
show at gmail.com. Good night. Thank you. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.